0: If you're tired of these promos, supporters get the podcast early and ad-free. Just go to donate.bogosity.tv for the links to sign up. Welcome to the Bogosity Podcast for the week of August 15, 2021. The podcast that invented the flying submarine. This is your host, Shane Killian. Let's immunize the news of the bogus. Heather Weicker is a St. Paul police officer who did a lot of work investigating a sex trafficking ring run by Somali refugees. She gathered evidence, cultivated witnesses, filed police reports, and gave sworn testimony. But all that was actually fairly easy for her since she fabricated that very trafficking ring. The cases resulted in 30 indictments, 9 trials and no convictions. Now here's the really bad part. Sixteen-year-old Somali refugee Hamdi Mohammed and her friends were attacked at knife point by Muna Abdul Qadir. Mohammed called the police, and was unlucky enough to have Waiker respond. She arrested Mohammed, not Abdul Qadir. Why? Because Abdul Qadir was one of her witnesses. Mohammed spent two years in jail on charges of tampering with a federal witness before the charges were finally dismissed. And she can't get any compensation at all, because the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals determined that Weicker has absolute immunity. This despite their acknowledgment that Weicker fabricated evidence, altered police reports, falsified information, and committed perjury. If Weicker had been acting as a state or local cop, she would have had qualified immunity, which we've covered. Mohammed would at least have been able to argue that immunity should apply, even though the standards are onerous. But she met that burden. The U.S. District Court for Minnesota ruled Weicker made such a mockery of the Constitution that there was no way qualified immunity would apply. But on appeal, the Eighth Circuit said that since, at the time, Weicker was acting as a federal officer, she had absolute immunity. So our only hope now is the Supreme Court. The Bivens case in 1971 said that a victim could sue a cop in front of a jury after the cop raided his apartment without a warrant, and later strip-searched him. Unfortunately, since that time, the Supreme Court has walked it back a bit. In the 2017 case Ziegler v. Abbasi, they ruled that court should consider special factors counseling hesitation before allowing a case to go before a jury. And really, that means whatever a cop can cook up and get a judge to go along with. That's what Muhammad's attorney, Anya Bidwell of the Institute for Justice, wants to change. Quote, Bivens is actually a great decision. It does provide a cause of action for a violation of Fourth Amendment rights. We want Bivens to be interpreted robustly and allow individuals to seek damages for violations of constitutional rights. Right now, if you live in the heartland of America, from Minnesota to Louisiana to Texas to North Dakota, anyone who carries a federal badge can violate your constitutional rights with absolute impunity. There is a federal statute that allows state and local officers to be held accountable when they violate someone's constitutional rights, and the courts have leaned on the fact that there is no analogous law doing the same for federal officers, thereby allowing them to escape accountability but this groundless legal theory ignores the first 200 years of this nation's history and the limits on federal officials imposed by the Constitution itself. Hopefully SCOTUS will take the case and rule the right way. Where there's a right, there must be a remedy. Meanwhile, Weicker is still employed by the St. Paul Police Department. Unbelievable. without advertising. Use the link below to visit this channel on odyssey.com, and see many of your other favorites there as well. So we've done several stories about politicians wanting tech companies to break strong encryption to put in backdoors. Apple just decided to start doing that. In the name of scanning for CSAM material, They will be scanning all iCloud photos and iMessage images for illicit material. And the only way they can do that is with an encryption backdoor. As the EFF put it, quote, Child exploitation is a serious problem, and Apple isn't the first tech company to bend its privacy-protective stance in an attempt to combat it. But that choice will come at a high price for overall user privacy. Apple can explain at length how its technical implementation will preserve privacy and security in its proposed backdoor, but at the end of the day, even a thoroughly documented, carefully thought-out, and narrowly scoped backdoor is still a backdoor. They're trying to say that it's still end-to-end encrypted because the scanning is done client-side. On their website, they posted, quote, This doesn't change the privacy assurances of messages, and Apple never gains access to communications as a result of this feature. Any user of messages, including those with communication safety enabled, retains control over what is sent and to whom. None of the communications, image evaluation, interventions, or notifications are available to Apple. But as security expert Bruce Schneier said on his blog, quote, Notice Apple changing the definition of end-to-end encryption. No longer is the message a private communication between sender and receiver. A third party is alerted if the message meets a certain criteria. This is a security disaster. Security expert Matthew Green tweeted, Yesterday we were gradually headed towards a future where less and less of our information had to be under the control and review of anyone but ourselves. For the first time since the 1990s, we were taking our privacy back. Today, we're on a different path. Edward Snowden tweeted, No matter how well-intentioned, Apple is rolling out mass surveillance to the entire world with this. Make no mistake, if they can scan for kitty porn today, they can scan for anything tomorrow. They turned a trillion dollars of devices into iNARCs. Without asking. There are a lot of other great links in Schneier's blog post. Understand, it is impossible to build a system that can do this for CSAM images while stopping its use for other reasons. It's not a slippery slope, it's an open invitation. It can apply to anything some government somewhere wants to call hate speech or misinformation or whatever. This isn't fear-mongering. We've covered cases where it's actually happened. Way back in 1998, Tim May warned us about the four horsemen of the information apocalypse. Terrorists, pedophiles, drug dealers, and money launderers. Always be suspicious whenever someone says we should tolerate X or Y or Z because of those. We've seen really stupid things done in the name of anti-piracy, and they just keep getting dumber. Anti-piracy firm Vindex sent a DMCA request to Google telling them to take down a link pointing to 127.0.0.1. For those of you who don't know what that is, it's called the loopback address. It means, that device. Whatever device you're on, a computer, a phone, a router, whatever, that device is 127.0.0.1. So let's say you're running a background service on your computer. It might have a web interface. To access it, you'll use the loopback address with a particular port. So you might go into a web browser and visit 127.0.0.1 colon 8383, or something like that. It's fully secure, even from spyware running on your own computer, and no one else on the internet or even your local network can get to it, because when they type that in, it goes to their computer, not yours. In this case, Vendex, acting on behalf of TV channel TRK Ukraine, asked Google to remove content hosted on http colon slash slash /ace/manifest.m3u. M3U is a playlist format. You give it a bunch of MP3s or other media files, and it'll tell your player to play them all in order. The word ace probably means that this computer is using Ace Stream, a means of streaming video using the BitTorrent protocol. The link appeared in the HTML code of a page on tvisor.org. It's apparently due to a misconfiguration, as it can't be accessed by the visitor, who would be accessing their own computer if they tried following that link. At any rate, nothing on 127.0.0.1 is publicly accessible through Google and cannot be removed or blocked by them. As for what infringing content this supposedly links to, that's where it gets silly. Under the DMCA and Comparable International Copyright Law, Whoever requests a link be taken down swears under penalty of perjury that they verified the link as infringing. So either they committed perjury by not verifying the link, or they verified that they have pirated content on their own machine. Because that's the only way they could've found infringing content on 127.0.0.1. So basically, they asked Google to remove a file on their own servers that doesn't exist. And a lot of the files, even ones on actual public servers, were in this M3U format, which means they're playlists. A playlist is just a text file full of links. It does not contain any infringing content. It just links to other content. So they want Google to take down links that link to links that link to infringing content. And I mean, one of them was http://185.231.160.42/6/2/index.m3u. In what way is there any indication of any infringing content there? The fact is, most of the links it sends to Google aren't indexed by the search engine. And of all the links they sent, only about 10% were removed. It's long past time these copyright cartels were held accountable for perjury and illegal takedown requests. Do you have children, or nieces or nephews? Are you homeschooling, or just want to counter some of the socialist indoctrination most children get in school? And now it's time to thermalize this week's Biggest Bogan Emitter. And this week, it goes to St. Louis Circuit Attorney Kim Gardner, who, as we've covered in the past, is the prosecutor who fraudulently tried to engage in a political prosecution against Mark and Patricia McCloskey. But this story isn't about the McCloskeys. It's about the incompetence of her and her office while they were focused on the McCloskeys, which resulted in accused murderers being set free. Circuit Judge Jason Sengheiser dismissed charges of first-degree murder, armed criminal action, and unlawful gun possession against Brandon Campbell when prosecutors from Gardner's office failed to show up in court for the third time. Sengheiser said that the circuit attorney's office abandoned its duty when it failed to show up for scheduled hearings in May, June, and July. Quote, "...the court does not take this action without significant consideration for the implications it may have for public safety." Although presumed innocent, Campbell has been charged with the most serious of crimes. While the court has a role to play in protecting public safety, that role must be balanced with adherence to the law and the protection of the rights of the defendant. The circuit attorney's office is ultimately the party responsible for protecting public safety by charging and then prosecuting those it believes commit crimes. In a case like this, where the circuit attorney's office has essentially abandoned its duty to prosecute those it charges with crimes, the court must impartially enforce the law, and any resultant threat to public safety is the responsibility of the circuit attorney's office. So there. Don't go blaming the judge or anyone else, Gardner. It's your fault. It was an assistant prosecutor who was assigned the case on May 17, even though she had gone on maternity leave on May 10. And that was just one of three murderers released in St. Louis because of Gardner's incompetence. Chief Public Defender for St. Louis, Matthew Mahaffey, said that the mishandling of this case, quote, "...encapsulates a lot of the discovery issues we're seeing, and the challenges we're seeing in getting cases to proceed with the full amount of information that our clients are deserving of. We're not getting what we need from the circuit attorney's office." Gardner then directly lied to the press and said, quote, Be assured that as the circuit attorney of the city of St. Louis, I am accountable to the public for the actions of the office and remain committed as ever to upholding the highest possible standards and practices of accountability at all levels of this office, particularly the public safety of the residents of the city of St. Louis. As a result, the individual in this case is in custody. No, he isn't, liar. Campbell is still at large. But one wonders just what the hell is going on over at her office. Before Gardner took office, the percentage of unprosecuted cases was 13.5%, starting in 2008, the lowest being 9.8% in 2013, and the highest was 15.5% in 2015. Then after Gardner took over, those figures jumped to 22.6% in 2018, 31.5% in 2019, and 35.8% in 2020 her average of unprosecuted cases more than doubled. Not only that, but she's filing fewer cases overall to begin with. Pretty pathetic for someone who had her office manipulate a handgun taken into evidence, making it able to fire so she could file fraudulent charges. But it seems to me that you probably need your right to keep and bear arms in St. Louis more than anywhere else in the country. So all of that makes Kim Gardner this week's Biggest Bug Emitter. go to Firmoo, that's F-I-R-M-O-O dot Bogosity dot TV anytime you need quality glasses at a low price. Once again, that's Firmoo dot Bogosity dot TV. And now let's proletarianize this week's Idiot. Idiot. And this week it goes to the Wisconsin Black Student Union, who decided to strike a blow for justice in response to the deaths of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. What did they do? Did they work to end qualified immunity and civil asset forfeiture? Did they fight for body cameras and an end to police unions? Did they work to end the war on drugs and other blatantly racist policies? No. They moved a rock. Chamberlain Rock is a 12-foot-long boulder weighing some 70 tons, which was named after Thomas Crowder Chamberlain, who was president of the University of Wisconsin-Madison from 1887 to 1892. So, was he a terrible guy? Some kind of awful racist? Well, I don't know, I've never heard of him, but they're not alleging that. No, they concluded that the Rock was racist, because a journalist used the N-word to describe it in an article in the Wisconsin State Journal in 1925. The term was apparently used in the 1920s to refer to any large dark rock, but this is the only case that university historians have found of it being used to refer to this rock. So now it's been moved elsewhere, to university-owned land near Lake Kaganza. Apparently it's no longer referred to as Chamberlain Rock, and instead, Chamberlain will get a plaque at the place where the rock once was. What this was supposed to actually achieve is anybody's guess. The rock was a glacial deposit from the Precambrian. It was deposited right there in Madison for some two billion years. It predates animals with skeletons. And now, some snowflakes thought it was racist and whined enough to have it removed. BECAUSE ONE idiot journalist referred to it using a racial slur 96 years ago. Apparently this was a compromise. What they'd actually wanted was the removal of a statue of Abraham Lincoln on the grounds that he owned slaves. Abraham Lincoln never owned any slaves. Juliana Bennett, a senior and campus representative on the Madison City Council, said removing the rock signaled a small step toward a more inclusive school. This moment is about the students, past and present, that relentlessly advocated for the removal of this racist monument. Now is a moment for all us BIPOC students to breathe a sigh of relief, to be proud of our endurance, and to begin healing. Are we absolutely sure that Bennett isn't trolling? So, all of that makes the Wisconsin Black Student Union this week's. Idiot. Idiot. Extraordinary. Extraordinary. Well, that wraps up this Don't Look at Me, I'm Irrelevant edition of the Bogosity Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please go to donate.bogosity.tv for several ways to support and discord.bogosity.tv to join the discussion. Subscribe at Patreon or Subscribestar and you can listen early and ad-free. Thank you for listening. Until next time, here's a quote from Newton Lee. It is high time we treated drug abuse and terrorism as diseases instead of wars, curing the patients rather than killing them. The Bogosity Podcast is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution on Commercial Literary, but it's 4.0 international license. Bogosity.